The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. All right, so uh, we're in the book of Titus. If this is your first time with us, we walk verse by verse through books of the Bible primarily. Uh, we're in the book of Titus. Uh, we've been in it, this I think is our fourth week. Uh, we skipped ahead last week for Mother's Day to chapter two to talk about women specifically. Uh, we're gonna come back now and finish chapter one. Finish chapter one, so we're in verse, chapter one, verses 10 through 16. Uh, basically, here's, here's what's happening. There's a church on this island of Crete that has a lot of problems, internal and external problems. Uh, And Titus has been commissioned by Paul, the author of this book, to go fix those problems. And the first thing you still do is appoint leaders. You need local leadership because you're not gonna be there for very long. So you need local leaders to address specifically uh, some false teaching that was going on that was corrupting the church. There was a lot of hedonism. There was a lot of gluttony. There was a lot of lying and just debauchery. So those things needed to be addressed, but they needed to be addressed the correct way, not with moralism, with the gospel. So uh, that's what's happening. And here at the end of chapter one, uh, we see one of those primary internal problems and how Titus is charged to repair it. So Titus chapter one, uh, we'll start in verse 10. This is Paul writing to Titus. For there are many, many rebellious people. They're in the church. They're full of meaningless talk and deception. And he says, especially, and that word especially means in other words, okay, so there's this group of people full of meaningless talk, but especially the ones I'm talking about are the circumcision group. All right, the circumcision group, that's really awkward, right? That sounds awkward. That is not a fun idea to think about. What are these people doing? Um, The circumcision group is, is a phrase used to describe Jewish converts to Christianity. So they believe in Jesus. They're they're about Jesus, but they came from the Jewish faith, and what we're going to find out is they were taking an opportunity to try to combo. They wanted the best of Judaism, and they wanted to apply it to Christianity and to the gospel, and and we think that, okay, that, that can't be that bad, but what they were doing was they were elevating some of the Jewish myths above the truth of the Bible, and that that's not going to work, uh, because Jesus is all that we need. We don't need works. We don't need a bunch of rules. We just need Jesus. And when you take faith and you start adding things to it, it gets really humanistic and it gets really scary. And that's what's going on. These people were full of meaningless talk. That's an interesting phrase. Full of meaningless talk. That that was actually a phrase that the church used to describe the pagan teachers meaning they just talk to hear themselves talk. So you got the, the people on the corner that are spewing countercultural stuff to what the church believes. And so within the church, you're like, they're just, they're full of meaningless talk. And now Paul is using the phrase from within the church to describe people who are teaching in the church. And it's meant to hurt. It is meant to be stinging. Those that would have heard that have been like, whoa, you think I'm a pagan? I, I'm all for Team Jesus plus a lot of rules. And so he uses that phrase, I think, very intentionally to get their attention. They were deceiving the people. And the idea that they were rebellious, that's interesting. It's more disobedient. What were they disobedient to? Well, they were disobedient specifically to Paul. 
Because Paul was the one who came in and planted this church in Crete, and Paul was the one who taught the church, the gospel, the message, all that needed to be taught. He's the one who said, and then he said, now just teach what I've taught you. And they're like, yeah, we're going to add some more stuff. So they're being disobedient, they're being deceptive, they're full of meaningless talk, and it's one specific group of people. Verse 11, Paul says, they must be silenced. That word means muzzled. I love that word picture. You gotta clamp their mouth shut. They need to stop talking, they need to stop teaching. They have to be muzzled because they are disrupting whole households. Now, that can mean, obviously, families, but more likely what Paul's referring to here are house churches, okay? We're not building big buildings at this point in the Christian faith. We're meeting in living rooms, multiple living rooms throughout a city. It's not a bad model. And these teachers are sneaking in to house churches and they're, they're adding to the gospel and Paul's saying they're, they're corrupting entire little churches. You've got to muzzle them. But this is getting out of hand. They're doing so by teaching things that they ought not to teach things that are not necessary, works added to the gospel. And then this one's, this is the bad one, okay? And they're doing it for the sake of dishonest gain. They're doing it so that they profit off of their teaching. And that gives us a little clue as to what they're adding. They're, they're probably adding things like ceremonial washing. We'll talk about that in a minute. They're, they're probably adding things like you can't eat certain foods. So more than likely, they've set up little markets where the people who want to follow their teaching can go buy the things you need to wash correctly, where people can go buy kosher food. And they're making money off of this teaching. And anytime someone uses the church to make money and to profit, that is a bad, bad thing. We, you hear this and you're like, these guys are really bad. But the reality is preachers, teachers have been adding stuff to the gospel since the very beginning. And you've probably heard it. I, I don't know if you were aware, but you know, this idea that God will be generous to you only if you're generous to him. You ever, heard, you ever heard someone say that and that preacher then does a building campaign? You know, well, that's just, that's not the gospel. God gave everything first. God's already been generous. Maybe you've heard things like, hey, you know, in order to surrender to God, you gotta clean up your life first. That the way that this works is you get yourself right, then you come to God. Well, that's not in there. But I've heard that taught. And unfortunately, I've heard it taught to youth. That's the worst place to infect that kind of teaching. Maybe you've heard that in order to honor God, in order to be saved, you've got to come to church. Maybe you've heard someone say that. It's not in the Bible. It's a good idea, but it ain't in there. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the resurrection, that's the focal point, you will be saved. Now, I know that's one verse, and you gotta be careful just taking one verse, but I believe that sums it up. It's faith. You can't add anything else to it. If you do, it becomes works, and then it becomes you boasting that it's, it's not good. Titus chapter 1, verse 12 Paul quotes a guy named Epimenides, okay? 
he quotes one of their writers and he says, one of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes and lazy gluttons. (laughs) I know we live in a 24-7 news culture, but if if that became the motto for America, no one would really be impressed with that. Uh, No one would really want to endorse that, but this had become the motto for Crete. And Paul now uses this quote, it's not scripture, it's a quote from a prophet to say that's what these men are doing. These false teachers, they are liars, they're evil brutes, and they're lazy, they're gluttons. Those are harsh words. But he says it's a warranted statement. It applies to them, verse 13. This saying is true, it's not hyperbole. It's really bad what they're doing, and they need to be stopped. These guys are just like the worst of the Cretan pagans. And they're in your church and you're listening to them and you're thinking they are knowing what they're talking about. And he says, therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. And you're going, well, you can't, you're not supposed to get angry and you're not supposed to use bad words. And so how how is Titus supposed to rebuke them sharply? That word sharply is a fun one. It's actually very strong language. It's not bad words, a strong language. But what it means is to use your authority. Rebuke them with your authority. Paul uses the same word in 2 Corinthians 13, 10. He says, this is why I, this is Paul talking, this is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority that the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Hey, Titus, it's time to put on your big boy pants and go use your authority to squash this. So when he says do so harshly, saying, bow up, go get it done. This is a terrible, terrible thing that's happening in the church. You need to fix these teachers. You need to fix them because they're spewing religious myths and they're adding to the gospel, but do you see why? Why does he need to exhort, exert his authority? Why does he need to harshly rebuke them so that they will have sound faith? You would, you would expect, it's like, kick them out. Get them gone. These, these dudes are messing up everything. They need to be run out of town, tar and feather them, do whatever you need to do. But he says, no, do this so that their faith will be pure. Do this so that they will come to repentance. I I didn't see that coming, I'll be honest. But it's always about God. It's always about his glory. These people need to be stopped, but they need to be stopped so that their hearts will be right. Verse 14 just continues. Verse 13, so I'll read the end of 13. So they will be sound in the faith, then verse 14, and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. You have been taught the truth, abide in the truth. They are using Jewish myths and human commands to reject and distort the truth. Now, the Jewish myths that they're referring to here, we can't be certain on this, but I've already alluded to it, is probably pertaining to cleanliness, and, I, and it's just track with me here. The Jewish faith got really distorted over a couple thousand years. 
And so what was initially for good, that God told his people to be set apart, to be pure, to be holy. Well, they started adding all these ideas, like, hey, if you walk through this town and you get this dirt on your feet, then all of a sudden you're unclean. If you touch this person, you're unclean. If you do this. And so they had all these rules for how you had to wash and bathe. And now some of them were anchored in scripture, in the law. But they just kept adding this stuff. And so what these teachers are most likely doing is they're saying, hey, yeah, you've got Jesus. He is your Lord and Savior. But here's the problem. If you eat that food, you're not saved anymore. So you gotta be really careful what you eat. Gotta make sure you don't go get that bad meat because then you might not make it to heaven. And that's what they're teaching. And these are myths. These are human commands. Reminds me of Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. These teachers. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Now you wanna be like, yeah, zing it. And I wanna be like, yeah, hear it. We need to hear that. Because I've known a lot of people, because I was one for a lot of years, who believed that I was worshiping the mess out of Jesus by the things I didn't do. I came to faith at 14, and for the next seven years, I believed that because I didn't have sex, God loved me. Someone taught me that along the way. Because I didn't use bad language, I was a good Christian. Someone taught me that. Because I didn't ever drink. You are the best, Todd, and that is the best way to worship God. And do you want to know how good I was at not doing all those things? Perfect. Perfect. Outstanding. Do you want to know how bad I made people feel who did those things? Really crappy. Do you want to know what it felt like to be freed from that and actually worship God because of who he is and what he's done? And it took a long time to relearn all this. They worship me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me because their worship is based on rules. Are you hearing me? I don't think this was just something that happened in an island in the Mediterranean 2,000 years ago. I think this is something that's happening still today. Purity, this is big if you want to write down a good note. Purity cannot be found through human rules. Purity cannot be found or attained through human rules. It's internal, it's a transformation. Verse 15, to the pure... To those who are pure, it is possible. All things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. So you, you, get the, you get the key right there. The key to purity is not rules, it's faith. It's Jesus. Those who don't believe, they're corrupt. Even if they follow all the rules, if they don't believe that they're corrupt, their, their heart is corrupt, 
In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted because they have not been made new through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a hard pill to swallow for some of you legalists, right? No, you're pure when you're pure. That's, you're pure when you avoid all the stuff that's icky. Without faith, nothing's pure. In fact, it's corrupt. Both your heart and your mind. Verse 16 is probably the most quoted verse in the book of Titus. But I want you to remember, this is in reference to these teachers. They claim, that word means confess. So they speak. They speak to know or confess to know God but by their actions, they deny him. Now, I've always thought that was a good legalistic verse, right? Like, you, if, you, if you truly believe in God, then your life's gonna reflect that. Oh, and I think that's true. Okay, but whoa, we gotta slow down. That's true. But when it says their actions deny him, their actions, I don't think they're talking about their sin I think they're talking, or he's talking about their teaching. Because their teaching proves that they don't know God. Because if they knew God, they would know that what they're teaching doesn't work. They would know that God can't love you any less or any more based on what you do or don't do. They would know that. Their actions deny that they know what they're talking about. I don't think it's their sin. They are detestable. That means abominable and idolatrous. Their religion is their idol, is their God. They're disobedient because they're teaching what they had been instructed not to teach. They think they know better and they're unfit for doing anything good. Now that's a very harsh statement. You're good for nothing. It's not what it means. They're unfit for doing anything good for the kingdom of God though because they think they're right, they think they're better, they think they're smarter, they think what they've got is the key for everyone else, they think what they have is what people need and what they've got is detestable religion. It's not Jesus. I'm gonna read 23 verses very quickly. I tried to cut it down, but I couldn't. It's out of Mark chapter seven, the first 23 verses. This is Jesus speaking. So these are red letter verses. This is what Jesus felt about this topic, the topic that we're discussing here today. It's a beautiful story, so let's go. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. So those are the religious leaders. That's who's in the room. And they saw that some of Jesus' disciples were eating food with hands that were defiled. That just simply means unwashed. See, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. This is Jesus speaking. Sounds like a commentary, right? But this is Jesus speaking to these religious leaders. See, they, they hold these traditions of their elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. God forbid that those would be defiled. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? 
they literally asked, why don't your disciples follow the traditions of man? They literally asked that question. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites. Woo, get him, Jesus. He says, it is written in Isaiah 29, verse 13. We've already read it. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Oh, Jesus. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions, exclamation mark. You've gotten really good at following the rules of your elders and not God. And he gives them an example. This is gonna sound weird to us, but this would have been just like a good sermon, good preacher gives an illustration. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. That's actually in the 10 commandments, right? Moses said it, it's in the Bible, you should do it. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. That's, that's actually in there too. We, we leave that part out a lot of times. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that means devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Okay, so just very quickly, what was happening is the Traditions of the elders said, if you set aside a sum of money, a sum of money for God and declare it Corbin, okay, you can't touch it. It has to go to God. And what Jesus is saying is, your mother or father need a surgery, probably not, but you know, hypothetically, need a surgery to live, and you could pay for it out of this money, but they won't allow you to because their tradition says that that money can't be touched. It's not in the Bible, can't touch it. Okay? So here, here's an illustration from today. Okay, a little bit more pressing. Uh, Underwoods live about 200 yards from here. They could walk to church. So today you're walking to church, okay? Got your girls with you. You walk to church, it's a beautiful day. As you're walking, you see a widow, okay? You see a widow who has bags full of groceries. She's coming from Crest. And she's walking, and right in front of you, she stumbles, and all of her groceries pour out, and she's bleeding. And you walk right by her, and you come right in here, and you come right up to me, and you go, it's a good thing we made it to church today because this lady fell and almost tripped over her green beans. It was terrible, but we have to be at church today. And I look at you and I go, oh, thank God that you didn't get caught up by that widow and help her because you are at church now and that's what God demands. That's literally what these religious leaders were teaching. The word of God says that true religion is this, to look out for the orphan and the widow. That's true religion. That, that's the kind of religion that God honors. and That's what the word says. And they ignored the widow to do something that human tradition says is more important. That's, that's what's happening here. It's terrible. Uh, so let's finish because then Jesus makes some clear statements. Uh, verse 13, thus you nullify the word of God. You literally make it void by your traditions that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Ooh. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And then he left and the crowd entered the house. His disciples asked him this parable and he looks at his disciples now and says, are you stupid? Are you that dull? Okay, 
Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. He's talking about poop in the Bible, just so you know. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside, and that is what defiles a person, not if they do those things, but if their heart is corrupt. And we've already learned that if the heart is corrupt, it's because of a lack of faith. As the band comes back up here, church, today, you cannot be pure. You cannot be pure by following rules and through human tradition. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And there are many people, because I was one, who feel this immense weight of legalism who feel this need to be perfect, who feel this compulsion to follow these traditions so that God will love you more. I want to offer the gospel to you today. Jesus came and lived that perfect life that you can't for you. He then died to pay for all of your sins. His blood covered over them all. And then wouldn't you know it, he said he would. Three days later, he rose again. And our faith is anchored on that truth, that he is alive. And all you need, all you will ever need is Jesus. Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. That is not the good news. The good news is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the good news. And for those who are burdened, for those who are hopeless, for those who are sinful, for those who are wrestling, for those who are wandering, for those who are hurting, Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus. Paul said that I preach Jesus because in it there's power, there's spirit to transform your mind and your heart. He doesn't preach Jesus plus a bunch of rules to end at some destination of you being godly. He preaches Jesus. And I offer him to you today. Not because I have the ability to do it, but because God handled that 2,000 years ago. He's available to all of you if you believe. So today as we respond, we'll have people up front. We're gonna take communion corporately together here in, in a few moments, but I offer an opportunity to respond to Jesus.
to Jesus, to Jesus. So Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the good news and the gospel. We love you, we adore you, we worship and celebrate you today, Jesus. Come meet those in this room who need you and find them in their own weakness. And may they put their faith fully in you, Jesus. It's in that name, the powerful name that we pray. Amen.